Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good afternoon, everyone. It's Sean and Steve back here for episode 42 of Across the Romaverse. We're recording just about 48 hours after the Theater of Dreams became a house of horrors for Roma uh, Thursday night in Manchester. By now, you've probably all seen the match or at least seen the highlights and have had a little bit of time to, uh, you know, think about what happened, maybe try to push it out of your minds if you could. Um, you know, Sean and I would have liked to record earlier, but you know, unfortunately, it was hard to get together sooner. And I'll tell you why, because um, I actually did not get to watch the match live, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. Um, you know, as many of you probably know, I'm a teacher by now. And uh, here on the East Coast in the U.S., I usually missed about the first 30 minutes, which I was prepared to miss. Uh, but as I was sharing with Sean before the recording, uh, my wife and I bought a house over the winter and we need a patio set and everything's been sold out of late in case you're you're looking in the U.S., good luck, because uh, everywhere is sold out with COVID and manufacturing down. And uh, one of our coworkers filled us in that Costco had the set my wife had liked a few weeks ago, um, and there was four left in, in the warehouse. So we worked together and carpooled together, so I had no choice but on Thursday to drive straight to Costco from work. And I saw um, the middle portion of the match when Romo was still in it, and then by the time I checked the score again, they had gotten hammered 6-2. So I watched it yesterday. Uh, as we record here on Saturday after the fact. So I was able to kind of remove the emotional aspect from the loss. Sean, you weren't so fortunate, were you? No, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't see Roma go like five goals unreplied in the middle of Costco. So I I, I mean, that's a unique (laughs) experience for sure. But uh, yeah, as, as you know, I'm, I'm less, less so than was yesterday, but I'm still pissed off. You know, I'm, I'm going to be on this episode. I'm going to be, going to bat for coaches like Fonseca, like Di Francesco, as I often am, because uh, I, I see people doing what I just don't like in football nowadays on the internet, which is selling drugs to kids in the forms of tactical talk. That's, that's, the, that's the modern day version of selling drugs. Is, you know, everyone's got an explanation of, of why the tactics weren't good enough and, and the game could have gone differently. And we'll, we'll look at both sides of that, but you know, I'm... I'm just gonna go to bat for Fonseca, and you know, you know, Steve, you're a far more balanced person than I am. So you're you're gonna you're gonna be Bruce Wayne, where I'm gonna be the guy wearing hockey pads. You're gonna you're gonna prick my <laughs> ego and remind me that I'm I'm probably more of a misguided vigilante more than anything. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely pissed about the loss too. You know, it's you try not to internalize it too much because we've seen this happen before. Um, but this one hurt especially because 
of the way it went down. And we'll talk about that later. But and now just looking at Twitter and especially my buddy, Jerry Mancini, who I've had on this podcast and I've been on his podcast and he's a big Lazio fan. And, you know, the, uh, you know, the bonsai tree memes keep coming out and things like that from <laughs> him. So, you know, if Jerry's listening, I'm sure he'll have a good laugh. But um, yeah, it hurts yeah. To, to have I, this happen again. I can take that. That's not what yeah. annoys me. What annoys me is the, the screenshots I see on Twitter of people just posting like Cavani and maybe it was Greenwood or Rashford uh, running up against Roma's last line of defense with like the entire half of Roma to run through. Yeah. And and not really explaining what, what like what is it that you see from that screenshot? Or mm-hmm. what, what's so yeah. what's so bad about playing that way? Please just at least tell me what you see so that I can feel something about it. But that, that's not what's happening. It's people just saying that this is this is how Roma played and we're too good to play that way. So like yeah. Roma fans actually saying this is too this is beneath Roma. And that's what annoys me. Yeah, and I just, I really don't like, I try and avoid tactics talk nowadays. I, I almost sent out an email to, to the rest of you for yesterday, apologizing for bringing so much tactics talk to, to the Chiesa, because I just realized how much, a lot of it just looks like, um, I don't know how, to, how else to call it, but like masturbation or something like that, because it's <laughs> just, it just misses the story of the game for me personally. But yeah. Yeah, that, that's my gripe. Yeah. And uh, speaking of tactics, and uh, we're going to talk a little more tactics than we normally do. So Sean did a great job of prep work and really prepped six, you know, still shots of the match that we will put into the write-up. So if you have a chance to listen, you know, and be on a computer, you can certainly take a look as you listen. If not, uh, I'd encourage you afterwards to take a look at his uh, pictures as a a, a reference point to some of the things we're going to talk about when you have a a, a minute. Um, And we'll have those up on a write-up on the site. It will be be in our article corresponding with this episode 42 on chiesadetati.com. And uh, we, we recognize that podcasting is an ideal format for talking about tactics because we, we lack in the visuals here as we're talking with you. Uh, but we're going to make the best of it as we can because the the big statement that Paulo Fonseca came out after the match that seems to have rankled people the wrong way is saying that it's not a tactical issue. Now, there are plenty of reasons to, to agree with him, plenty of reasons to disagree. But that's what we're going to, be confronting head on with with straightforward answers, not just like vague screenshots on Twitter. We're going to really confront this detail for detail, and it'll be the, it'll be the, the most tactical episode that we've done so far. Yeah, um, and we've embedded a few listener questions in. So thanks to you guys who got those questions in today. Um, when Bren, you know, tried to solicit some of those, so we'll get to those mixed in the episode. We've embedded them where that we think they fit best. Uh, plus a handful at the end where we kind of talk about moving forward. Uh, but the first listener question I threw in here was from Distant Loopy uh, because it was a very simple question in all caps, and it was why. And that's what Sean and I are going to try to figure out. Uh, and I'm sure he's, you know, talking just not just about this match, but in general, because we've seen this happen <laughs> with Roma so often. Uh, but we'll try to answer that question for him and for all the rest of you guys. Um, and we're going to break this down into kind of three categories. Uh, just the the golfing quality between United's roster and Roma's roster, the tactics which Sean referenced already, and then just how the injuries affected the match. As you as you're well aware by now, you know Roma was hammered by injuries um, after we had talked about how they were relatively healthy going in. So uh, I don't know if it was my probable formations piece or just us talking last episode, but we maybe we jinxed it because uh, the health went out the window very quickly. Uh, in even uh, a way for Roma fans that was astounding and kind of unbelievable. So starting with the golfing quality, I mean, Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, and Edison Cavani were 
as they say in Italian, 40 classe on the day. I mean, they put in a shift, uh, especially in the second half. Um, you know, we saw that on the first goal. Pogba, I noticed, kind of waltzed through three players. I saw he turned um, Smalling, and then it was uh, Diawara and I think uh, VR, because VR was in the match, but then they kind of just put in the lackluster challenge. Um, yeah. and, and you can't do that with a player of Pogba's quality. I mean, it, you know, he turned, yeah. he turned Smalling like, uh, like a top, you know, yeah. that, that you spin around or a dreidel or something. And, um, and then it was, it was too much. Cristante let Fernandez drift in behind and, and, you know, we'll get into Cristante too a little bit, but what did you make of that first goal in, in terms of quality, Sean? I'd say I didn't really notice it at the time. I didn't, I didn't noticed Pogba running through three players. I was actually more taken back by Fernandez's finish. It's just mm -hmm. a nice little dink. Very nice keeper. finish. Yeah, so uh, that was really like the, the, the only mental image that was like flashing through my head as I was watching it. Uh, running it back, you're right. You know, uh, you can't, I mean, well, you can, you know, you can you can try and put in the half pass challenge on Paul Pogba, but obviously he's going to punish you for it. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is just uh, an example of how uh, individual quality was uh, already an early factor in this match. And then you have to also point out the fact that Viat came on. Uh, you know, he wouldn't have been expecting to start the game but it, what, effectively what he did because Vertu lasted less than two minutes. Mm -hmm. um, he wouldn't have been expected to play so so early on. Uh, and maybe his, his uh, you know, his half, you know, his, his non-start, that's actually a start, was telling because he actually went on to have a really, really, a total match map, mix match, sorry, mismatch yeah. against Paul Pogba throughout, throughout the whole 90 minutes. Yeah, and Pogba's, Pogba's a, a handful for anybody on his day. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I wasn't even that in sense that he turned small because he will turn players when he's, you know, puts in a good shift well, like he I'll, did. It was almost all, a half challenge from Diawara and VR that, that got me more in a, in, a, in a sense. But of all, of all the players that I would be in a sense about him turning would be Smalling. Would be Smalling, yeah. Smalling is the guy who... I consider to be the best match for Pogba. Yeah. Uh, Villar, I'm not surprised that he, he can't compete with Pogba. Mm -hmm. He's just put in a bad situation. Yeah. Uh, Diawara, I'd expect better, but his, his, uh, Diawara's strengths are not defending up close and personal. His, his strengths are defending, like cutting you off before you get to the ball. Yeah. So Smalling for me is, is the most disappointing in that. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. And, you know, we were very excited to have Smalling back. And uh -huh. Smalling ended up probably having the worst match of almost anybody on the pitch, if not yeah. the worst. I, I, yeah. I'd have to say um, he was culpable for a couple of goals in, in this match. And we'll get into one of them in detail in a bit. Um, you know, we saw the golfing quality, too, on some of United's other goals. Um, you know, we're not going in order on the goals here because we're kind of talking about the quality here. But the quickness of United's second counterattack um, caught Roma out. You know, you, when you have players of the quality that, that United have, it was, uh, it was almost too easy that they countered. And I know Sean, you put together the image for this one of VR, uh, VR getting passed by Fred when, uh, VR pressed a bit and then Rumble caught scrambling. So I'll let you kind of take us through this one. Yeah. I mean, this is more so a tactical question. Like, this is one where I, I take people's point about you shouldn't come out the second half and, and just press United in their own half because, um, you know, if, if VR stands off Fred, then Pogba isn't isn't free to just run onto mm -hmm. the ball and then pass it up to Cavani. And most of all, Fernandez isn't uh, you know, left free by Diawara, who's who's gone to press the ball as Pogba's carrying it. Uh, you know, Diawara 
in a more conservative team would just stay on Fernandez, and, and Fernandez wouldn't be open to collect that pass back from Cavani that ends up feeding, I think it's Rashford on crew to goal. Um, but in terms of the individual quality, the story is Fred because uh, mm-hmm. VR pushes up on him, tries to anticipate early, and Fred doesn't even waste any time, just uh, just with his back to Roma's goal, dinks it past VR onto, onto Pogba without even looking. Um, VR actually fouls Fred, but the, the play goes on because Pogba's free and United have the freedom of the pitch in, in Roma's half. So, yeah, it's really about Fred uh, being just too sharp for Villar in that sense. Yeah, I agree. And that that's where the, the quality came into that counterattack for me, which is how quickly United broke um, mm-hmm. and bypassed Roma's press. So, yeah, there's some tactics in it, like you said, but I think just the way Fred just moved that ball so quickly past Villar, it's hard to imagine somebody on Roma doing the same when Roma counterattacks. You know, yeah. just with the, with the quickness and then having an outlet like Pogba and then a guy like Fernandez for him to – eventually get the ball to it was just it was it was so quick um yeah, if, you, if, you know? if that ball if that ball like is a loose ball that's going out to vr with his back to united's goal you expect him probably to take it under control mm-hmm. uh you know maybe pass it out like make the easy pass out wide to like Karsdorp or perez um you know not 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 find mkhitaryan on the break so that he can go run up with uh you know with jacko and all that stuff so exactly yeah, yeah. and um I, I don't want to pick on anybody but i did notice watching the replay a couple times that Karsdorp kind of sprinted then he started to jog maybe when he thought the play wasn't going to break as quickly as it did and then tried to catch up at the end and that kind of left um i believe it was cavani was the goal scorer on the second one uh pretty open um yeah um we were talking about the same the same goal the, yeah, the same goal. Okay, yeah. That, I mean, to me, that's that's where Karsdorp's head, head has always been. It's when yeah. when Cavani, Cavani receives that pass from Pogba, it's kind of like a trickling ball at the end. Um, so Cavani is forced to turn his back to goal yeah. and uh, and face the other way. And he actually passes it backwards to Fernandez. And Karsdorp's mentality in that situation, when he sees like uh, you know the ball going backwards in in, in 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 terms of United's perspective, is to run forward and expect that a Roma player will eventually close that ball down and he's going to make himself the outlet to go back yeah. on attack. He's just that, he's just that offensive of a player, but that's not a defensive card. It's just that his mind has always been there. So it's not, yeah. it's not something I'm surprised to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right because he, he kind of sprinted at first when the break started, then he mm. kind of slowed down into a, a jog. And then when he realized, Oh crap, the ball is going forward again, he tried to sprint back and, by that point, Smalling had tried to close down, I think, Cavani, because I think it was Pogba who scored the second goal. And um, by that point, it was too late for Karsdorp to close down and then then forget about it. It was 2-2. Um, yeah. yeah. So not 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 a great, you know, job by him there. Um, and then we could talk about United's fifth goal, which was just kind of perfection in terms of the pass from Fernandez. That was just quality. We talk about the crosses that Roma fails to put in often. Um, it's something that people have lamented for a long time from the Florenzi playing right back days to other players. Um, some people even complain about Pellegrini's passing isn't always on point when he takes, you know, corners and things like that. But that cross from Fernandez to Pogba's head was perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And again, Smalling on this one was culpable uh, in terms of the marking. So why don't you take us through that fifth goal where the quality was just evident? Yeah, I, I, I saw your notes on this and I kind of, I, had a different take on it. I just felt it was mostly down to Smalling. He's, he's the story of it. As, as good as Fernandez's ball is in, into the box, it, it, it Smalling doesn't run under it and actually anticipates the flight better and stays back a little bit. Like an inch backwards, mm-hmm. he cuts it out. 
Um, so I, I put it on smalling for missing the opportunity to cut it out. But it is a nice, nice corner routine from United. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll point this out in the article afterwards, but uh, we don't know whether this was a slip from the training ground from United or if they just saw the opportunity uh, that Roma were just not putting out uh, like a man to, to cover that that indirect corner that they laid it off to Fernandez for. Because Bruno Fernandez, when he gets when he picks up the layoff from the corner, he's wide open. He right? has the freedom of the of the pitch to to, to send that ball, that bomb in. Yeah. Um, you know, Roma are just so focused. They see a a left foot to take. I think it was Luke Shaw um, taking the corner, and they're just so focused on uh, defending it against a potential in swinging corner that they just don't. No one thinks that they're going to pass it off to Fernandez for for an outswinger on his right foot. Eventually, was what it was. Um, and that, you know, that in a sense is just poor preparation from, from Roma or maybe excellent opportunism from United. But um, for me, Smalling should cut out that ball regardless. Yeah, I agree. Um, as, go- as good of a ball as it was, and it was a beautiful, beautifully weighted cross and great curve on it, it, it was down to Smalling because if he mm-hmm. judged that ball better, he could easily have headed it either straight up in the air or back up. You know, they tend to head it back in that kind of angle and could have just cleared the danger. Um, so that that was definitely something that, as good as the quality was on it, it, it was defensible, and it was came down to an individual error from Roma, um, not to the level of some we've seen where we have giveaways that turn into goals, but one that from your best center back, the one that you spent the money on, and the one you were so happy to have back, you would have expected a bit better, uh, yeah. especially in the air. Um, and then the the, the sixth goal uh, was just as you put it, Sean, a world class pass com- from Cavani to Greenwood. So why don't you take us through that one? Yeah, it sounds at this point like we're coming up with a, a bunch of excuses for Roma, but this goal for me, this, this is the United's last goal of the game, and it is, it's an example of how talking about tactics just completely misses the story, misses the point of what, you, what you're seeing right in front of you. Cavani picks up the situation in a 4 on 4 I believe it's actually a 4 and 5 Yeah, 4 so, and 5 you know, Okay, so the, the, you know, the tactical setup there hasn't... Uh, rendered Roma any kind of disadvantage whatsoever. Uh, other than the fact that you could argue there's probably too much space between the back line and the keeper. So, so that, uh, it gives that providing that space to, to pass the ball into. But an average or an above average striker or player would then choose to take the ball on their right foot and do it like do an in-step pass into Greenwood um, past uh, Ibanez, like just, just a simple through ball. That would maybe give Mirante or any keeper a chance uh, at sniffing out and rushing onto the ball, or maybe give Diwara Ibanez, and maybe even in, in a more conservative setup where you're defending from the back. You know, Bruno Perez maybe ideally starts um, if you're playing Catenaccio style in line where he starts his line his, his run sorry in line with the last two Roma defenders, and so you've covered uh, Greenwood in that sense. But that's irrelevant. Because Cavani doesn't do that. What Cavani does is take the ball at like almost first time, pass it with the outside of his right foot in a way that bends the ball around the Banyas' yeah. run. And then the ball spin actually takes it backwards. Like it's not the ball isn't traveling forward, it actually starts to travel backwards into Greenwood's run to take out the keeper. The keeper has no choice. Like he's he's got no opportunity to even think about rushing out because the ball is traveling away from him by the time it pounces. It's just yeah. a, it's it's a it's a class it's a pass that from a, a four versus five situation where United are outnumbered, 
Cavani takes every single Roma defender out of the game with one ball, yeah, including the goalkeeper. That that is not average or above average. That's just top class. That's as good as it gets. Yeah, and and that's why Cavani is world class. He's get he's getting on in age a bit, but he's been a a, a top quality goal scorer. And and you see here more than a goal scorer for a long time. I think I remember for Uruguay too. A lot of the time. Uh, early in his career, because one of my best friends is Uruguayan, so he would talk about the Uruguayan national team a lot. He was kind of pushed more into a an attacking midfield role because of uh, Suarez and Forlan. Yeah. Yep. And he yep. was kind of like the afterthought guy um, and didn't score yep. a lot of goals for Uruguay because he was playing further away from goal. And you can see here, uh, because, you know, I didn't watch a lot of PSG when he was there, and I don't watch a lot of the Uruguayan national team unless I would watch it with my buddy. And, you know, you see the quality here. The ball was amazing. And then when you combine that with Greenwood's fresh legs, he had come off the bench just a few minutes earlier. You know, there was no way Roma was stopping that. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Cavani was always that afterthought guy for me. I saw him uh, when he first came for Palermo. Mm-hmm. He struggled for goals. Then he got that mega money move to Napoli. And I, I thought well, yeah. Napoli had just wasted a bunch of money. And then, then he exploded. Yeah, he and, exploded and, on Napoli. And he absolutely paid back their transfer fee. Um, I always I love Diego Forlan and I, I watched that Uruguay team like as much as I could. Um, and it, for uh, Cavani at first was definitely the least impressive of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, even at PSG, uh, my you know, one of my very very close friends is a is a season ticket holder for the club. Uh, he was actually converted to <laughs> like he's a basketball fan. And he was converted to watching football by his wife at the time. <laughs> they, they, he's an ex-wife now, but she's a season ticket holder. She made him a PSG fan. Um, so I did see Cavani there, and I've seen Cavani have some very, very uh, rock bottom performances where he's like wasted like almost like five clear cut chances in the game. Um, you know the kind of performances where you would get insulted playing for Roma, uh, you know week in week out. Yeah. So it's not a clear cut story with Cavani, but he's definitely gotten better and better with age. And yesterday was his top class. Yeah, top class for sure. And, you know, just a couple of things we, we pointed out before we move on to the more tactics was uh, one thing I picked up on the, on the broadcast and on the American broadcast, you don't pick up too much from the benches because you got the announcers talking over them. Mm-hmm. But after United's third goal, it was almost like they were, you know, United were a shark smelling blood in the water because they actually caught Solskjaer uh, on the sideline in the 66 minute. And I heard him because the camera panned to him and he, you could hear him say, keep the tempo high. Like they knew they had Roma right where they wanted them. They saw the quality was too much for Roma and especially after the injuries and Roma's legs starting to give out a bit uh he he just knew like we got to go after Roma and we just got to keep attacking and and it turned into three more goals for them mm-hmm. yeah and, and uh and I was even mirrored by Paolo Fonseca's post-match comments I, I didn't I didn't notice any of this at the time I have to say so I'm not going to pretend like I did but after the match um Fonseca's comments mirrored exactly what you're saying and what Solskjaer yeah. called out was that he said after the third goal uh, United's third goal being our team just stopped reacting uh, you know there's there obviously must have been something on the pitch that everyone saw where they just saw that Roma were on the ropes and and almost giving up um and that's where for me you can criticize Fonseca you know I, I'm not here to defend Fonseca regardless I'm just saying that people who are accusing his tactics of being the the number one issue with his management at the club uh I they're missing the point for me if you want to confront Fonseca's weaknesses is just that on a personal level, he, he's lost um, whatever it is that makes this Roma side tick emotionally. And we've seen that often in the league and we saw it yesterday as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, he, his tactics only go so far if the men on the pitch aren't executing uh, and they stop reacting and doing things like that. 
So, you know, since we're on Fonseca, let's move to the tactics a bit, Sean. Um, and in my opinion, Roma played exactly as we expected in the first half. And I thought it did it pretty well. Uh, when you look at the numbers, the way they defended and countered, they did counter fairly effectively. Um, you know, the, the, the shots on target were even 2-2. United outshot them 5-2, but only 2-2 on target. DXG favored Roma at 1.73 to 1.24 for United. Um, but possession was exactly what we expected, 63-37 for United. Um, and the passing accuracy, 85 to 69% for United because Roma uh, had, a, had a bit of trouble to, you know, stringing together some passes and that affects the possession being as low as it was. Um, but Roma came out 2-1 in the lead. They had two big chances to United's one and they converted both of those big chances. Um, yeah. And that, uh, that, flies, that flies in the face of some comments I've seen in the build-up where people were saying, you can't get away with the kind of performance you did against Ajax in the quarters. You can't get away with just a third of possession. Well, apparently you can because yeah, you're up to one yeah. in the semifinal. Yeah, and and I, I thought it was very similar to the way they defended Ajax in the second leg, where you know they absorbed yeah. close to like eighty percent of possession uh, yeah. for Ajax. It was it was even more than this. And like we had talked about last episode, it's not you can def- sit back and defend, and you can give Ajax the ball as long as you're not giving up those quality chances. Yeah, and it's how they you defend. Did, they did the yeah. same thing. Um, the only other good shot I remember in the first half, besides the goal from United, was the big save that Lopez made on Cavani, which ultimately cost him uh, the rest of the match because that's when he injured his shoulder. Um, But that was from pretty far out. It wasn't like a big time quality chance. Um, It was just a shot on target. I'll be honest though. As I was watching the game, I went from being afraid of what United would come out the gates with to not being afraid by halfway through that half. And that is all to say that I felt like the game was in United's hands. It was was United's... uh, call to, to call their own destiny it wasn't yeah. i didn't feel like the game was in roma's hands i just felt like united were playing very predictably they were constantly working that ball out to the left flank to rashford and then cutting into bruno fernandez and doing it so much that it was just it just became easier and easier to anticipate and you're just thinking yeah. well this is predictable uh, I'd, I'd love it if they played another half like that yeah but that's not what happened that's not yeah and things things changed big time in the second half. Obviously, the scoreline indicates that Roma got outside outscored. Uh, excuse me, five nothing on five big chances from United. They capitalized on all five. Uh, possession was similar, sixty four thirty six in the second half for United. But this is where the big change was 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 the shots. United had twelve shots, eight on target, to Roma's three shots, one on target in the second half. Um, the XG didn't favor United. Score five goals. They were at three point zero nine, but Roma zero point one three. So. You know, the XG would indicate more of a like a 4-2 win for United rather than the 6-2 we got. Um, but, you know, it was just a c- completely different match in the second half. Um, you know, did, did you notice any change in tactics from Roma um, and United or was it just the quality? What did you notice? Me, it was just the, it was the quality of United. They stepped it up again. They, you know, much better used to spreading the ball around. Um, okay. Maybe Roma somehow, for some reason, stepped up and became a little bit more aggressive in terms of trying to um, play on the halfway line. But United weren't just overusing Rashford anymore. You know, they were they were using that left side. They were using Luke Shaw more often. Um, they were Cavani was raising his his level as well, like mm-hmm. uh, in the hole. And uh, just you know, once once you get United players playing that way. That tactics is relevant like you, you just yeah. you, you, you're outdone they've, they've already got the edge yeah and uh one of our listener questions comes from at mark briggs 07 and he said the halftime talk instructions the halftime tactical instructions or the halftime 
you know, tactical option. So, you know, that kind of leads us to what we were going to get at next. Should Roma have sat deeper and defended the lead at 2-1 or even defended a little bit deeper at 2-2 or even 2-3, um, knowing that there was a second leg coming up? So, um, and, and part of that, you know, the reason I, I posed that question is because on that second goal, like we talked about earlier, when VR was so aggressive uh, and Fred just, you know, broke that press so quickly, um, you can kind of get into that. Do you think that Roma should have sat deeper when you see the way like that second goal played out? I second goal. That was the one where Fred broke I mean, yeah. the press. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to run it through and think of how it, a deeper team would. Yeah, that's a goal where it's, if you come out second half and you defend deep, that goal is avoidable. Uh, we, yeah. we talked about it earlier on the episode. Yeah. VR doesn't push up on Fred. He stays on Pogba. Um, he probably still gets outdone by Pogba in a way, let's be real. Mm-hmm. But um, Pogba then passes it up to Cavani. Cavani passes it back to Fernandez. But guess what? Fernandez is then marked by Diawara because mm-hmm. Diawara doesn't push up on Pogba. So that's a goal where, yes, I concede 2 1 up at halftime. Uh, conceding a goal like that, uh, you know, I, I have to give it to the other side. I agree. Um, if you come out more conservative in the second half, you, you avoid conceding that goal. That's true. Yeah, I think tactically this was the the biggest mistake uh, of any of the six goals. I think this would be the one where tactics played the biggest part um, mm-hmm. just because of the way VR pressed so hard and got beat so hard. And we know VR is not a defensively gifted player at this point in his career. He's got a lot of holes defensively. Yeah. Um, but it's, so not, I, it's, not, it's not exclusively a tackle issue because, as we said, the, the Fred just outdoes VR. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that's something that is down to quality. And then also you have Cristante who isn't like doesn't mm-hmm. do the best job at closing off the yeah. pass from Pogba to Giovanni. So yeah, some some individual error or or individual lack of quality does come into it there. But I do give it to people that it's, it's mostly tactics there. Yeah, I agree. And I, I wonder too if this goal hadn't come within the first five minutes or so of the half, if Roma could have done a better job of defending the lead. Maybe they got hit, you know, they kind of got punched in the mouth so fast in the second half that yeah. it kind of shell shocked them because you go into the half up two one feeling pretty good about yourself. And then it's like, Oh crap, here's that second goal within the first five minutes. Yeah. Well, that, that's where I can see both sides of the issue. Like when people make it into a, a tactical debate, it's really about um, what tactical setup puts, puts the team in the right frame of mind emotionally to, to see out the result. Mm-hmm. You know? And in yeah. that sense, that, that could be an interesting talk for another time, which is, you know, it, it, it goes beyond this game. It goes into, you know, um, how do you keep your team calm for, for 90 minutes in the big yeah. match? If they defend deep, do they play calmer or not? Yeah. I, I can see it both sides in that sense. But to say that somehow the tactics were so bad that they, that it, a 6-2 was inevitable, for me, isn't the story of the game. It's just that this, this considering this kind of goal so early in the second half, like you said, um, you know, that that a lot of it is down to, to the tactical, uh, you know, the tactical mentality of Roma. And uh, it didn't, they didn't necessarily help their emotional well-being by going out the second half that way and it seemed yeah. like from from Fonseca's comments uh, you know when going back to Mark Briggs's question from Fonseca's comments after the game it seems like his his impression of the game at that point his instincts was telling that, that somehow he he set Rummer up to try and see as much of the ball in the first half uh, as possible even though it only saw 37% but still that's impressive against United and Semi and then for some reason he used that as feel to then go and try and take more of the ball earlier in the second mm-hmm. half. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's wildly optimistic at best, you know? Yeah. 
And I I wonder if like that was his mentality. Like if we can get through like another 15, 20 minutes trying to keep as much of the ball as possible, being aggressive, then maybe we could sit back. Maybe we could steal a third goal. And I think that may be where he was maybe in retrospect, a little naive. Maybe it was a little too aggressive. And I think that's where he got the most criticism I saw from a lot of the the Twitter comments I saw even before I watched the match. Um, I think was that being a little bit, maybe too optimistic in a sense that we can take 40% of the ball from United and maybe try to hit him again. Um, yeah. And I think that's if, you, if Roma even, held out for like 10 more minutes, it might've worked. That's, that's maybe overestimating Roma, but certainly underestimating United. I think yeah. you can bully them on, on their own pitch. Yes. You know? And I think that's what it was. It was more underestimating uh, United, knowing how much quality is there. And, and especially because by that point, Roma had the three injuries and you lost there too. Like, Maybe if Vertu's the one pressing instead of VR, maybe that's a little more effective um, mm. than, than it was. Um, you know, then that could take us to the third goal, which is the one that uh, where United really started to, to turn it on because it was in the 65th or so minute. I think they scored that goal right before that Solskjaer comment I had uh, talked about before. And there was some poor positioning prior to the third goal, which was a spilled shot by Mirante, and it was just like a tap in for Cavani. Um, you know, I'll let you take us through that one, Sean. Um, the third goal, yeah, it's. I mean, again, for me, th- this this one is very different. This is not the, the biggest story. of This goal is Smalling's error, um, and Cristante's error, and obviously Morante's error. This is this is all individual errors. It's like more like comedy yeah. of and chain of errors. Um, you have. Uh, I believe it was Fernandez who picked up the ball just outside the penalty box, and Cristante at the very last moment, as as he unfortunately often does, is makes a decision that no one else was expecting, which is just to go mark the ball. Um, now we are a team that's set up to, to mark the ball, so you know, it's not he's not breaking away from the nature of the team in that sense. He's just doing it very very late. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, instead of like you know, at first he's he's marking Cavani. And he, he sees Fernandes pick up the ball and he's just like, he, he waits a little bit and then decides, oh, you know, I'm going to jump ahead and I'm going to try and cut off Fernandes' pass. He does it way, way, way too late. And that leaves Fernandes with the ball open. Like, and as far as Smalling's point of view, Fernandes is, is, is sitting, like standing towards Roma's goal with, with the ball, like plain line of sight on goal. So Smalling just decides to run back as you do. Like that's, that's the mm-hmm. instruction for any defender in any defense. Yeah, it's an open ball, you run back to defense. But he does it for so long, um, and unfortunately, he does it at the same time that Cristante pushes up. That by the time Fernandez uh, and what what Cristante's decision to push up also leaves Bruno Bruno Perez on the far side with a very very bad decision. Like he's he's left with making the best of two very bad decisions, which is like one either Perez stays on the on the half half space where he should be, and leaves um, someone inside the box of Cumberland who was wide open. That just be that be suicide, or he leaves uh, one Bissaka free, which is what he chose to do on the far side, and that's virtual suicide anyway. But yeah. um, you know, Perez just chose the, the best of two very bad options left him by Cristante. Yeah, I'm looking so, at the still image, and he's on Rashford pretty much. Uh, he's within like yeah. a couple yards of Rashford, and Juan Bissaka's yeah. wide open. What do you do? Do you leave Rashford wide open at the top of the 18? You can't. No, that's that's a suicide. You, you, you Rashford scores a goal if he does that. So yeah. he, he 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 takes like the he takes the better of two very horrible choices and i don't blame Perez at all um but he's he's well inside the half half space so he's well inside the six yard marker box and no full, no wide back should ever be there ideally so the team shape is all wrong um that comes from cristante's error 
Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, getting to the goal, Fernandez eventually passes out to Juan Bissaka, who's free on the far side. Juan Bissaka takes a shot, a goal, um, straight at Morante, but it's it's a hard low shot, but Morante parries it to exactly where you wouldn't want to parry it, which is right back into Cavani's waiting feet. It's a goal. But that that is not that is not a tactical error in that goal. Uh, that, there's, I mean, there's no yeah. team tactical error there. It's, you know, that goal is rendered dead if Smalling just doesn't play when Basaka mm-hmm. on side. Yeah. Um, and I don't exclusively give the blame to Smalling because, he, as I said, his decision was influenced by Cristante's error. But those are the those men that are throw that goal: Cristante, Smalling, and Mirante. Yeah. I agree. That's not a tactical, that's more of a, an individual decision-making error in some cases, you know, smalling, that's the instinct to run back. So it's hard to blame him exclusively, like you said. Um, but you know, if he's, if he doesn't run back, it's an offside uh, because he was the only one holding Wambi on. But, you know, like you said, Cristante reacting too late and then Bruno Perez being so far in to the center of the box that you leave Wambi open and it all just played out. And then the spill from Mirante was, was, you know, a bit inexcusable too. Cause I didn't think it was hit that hard, the shot that he mm. couldn't have either trapped it or parried it better. He parried it very weakly and yeah. <laughs> any of us could have scored it. Any of our listeners, you know, yeah. uh, someone playing, right you know, like Peewee at like six years old could have just tapped it. And he was so, so close to goal. So um, anyone except Gonzalo Villar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, you know, it, it's hard to blame tactics there when it's individual um, little errors um as the fourth goal which ended up being the penalty kick Roma was caught out in the build-up um I thought it was a questionable penalty call because I thought the ball had already run past I believe it was Cavani um or Pogba I think it was Cavani um I don't know if he was even a penalty they did review it on VAR and and gave it so I guess by rule I guess it was um seemed a bit seemed a bit soft to me I honestly more than questionable I think it was never a penalty yeah never ever but I'm not too mad about it because I remember that Roma received a very similar similar penalty earlier this season when Mkhitaryan completely failed to control the ball and was taken out by someone's goalkeeper. I forget what it was, but yeah, we were, I can't we remember which big, match. It was in the league, yeah. though. It was in the league. Yeah, yeah. We we were we were the big team in that game, getting the big team decision, mm-hmm. and this one was United getting the big team decision. So. Yeah. Yeah, Fonseca was on the sideline, a bit incredulous when the initial call was made. Like I, everybody was a bit yeah, shocked even, by it. He said he claimed that Solskjaer even said after the game that it wasn't a penalty. Yeah, no one thought it was a penalty. And, and that's a big that's a big decision when Roma's down three two. Not to make excuses, but yeah. if it's three two rather than four two for a bit longer, maybe Roma's able to hold out a little bit longer. Uh, yeah. Because if you keep the final score to maybe four two, you kind of have a shot at the Olympico, at least a prayer. Um, so like Roma couldn't afford anything to not go their way in the second half, and this was just uh, yeah. the, the and, worst and- worst possible. And and that play starts off with an excellent uh, decision and play from Luke Shaw on mm-hmm. the left side. So when you say that Roma was sent out second half by Fonseca just to just to die and like you know just to be emotionally traumatized, how can you look at this goal <laughs> and think that um, the tactics play into Luke Shaw's great play? The tactics play into a refereeing decision that's a blatant mistake. Yeah, uh, like that's even on an emotional level, like. Th- that that has to weigh on you harder. You know, that, that it's my emotions harder than any kind of tactics talk whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. It was a great play by Shaw. We'll have we'll have a still of this also into the uh, the write up, so you could kind of yeah. just see the play that Shaw made, getting the ball out to Gavani, who was then just, fouled. Just quickly, I think we should probably hit for a commercial break. Yeah, in, in all this because uh, yeah, we're 
we'll have a lot more to say after this break. So yes, we'll, we'll be right back. back. All okay, right, welcome back. back. Uh, we're moving on to, you know, we talked already about the zonal marking on the fifth goal. Anything else? We had that in the outline, Sean, um, because we had this kind of in the tactics, but I think we, you know, mentioned it. It, did, it had nothing to do with tactics more than it was just small and getting beat in the anticipation to that goal, right? Yeah, the only, only tactical issue is if, if um, United prepared for this beforehand with their indirect corner, mm -hmm. saw that maybe Roma just don't really make enough effort to put a man outside the box. Yeah. Um, but that, that's really the only issue for me. So as we talk about, you know, tactics, Fonseca is the focus of that. So let's talk about some of his decisions, uh, see if there's any other direction he could have gone. You know, the first question we posed was, you know, was it the right decision to play Cristante as a center back this season? I, I think he's been very good this year for the most part, you know, uh, from what you could expect from someone who's naturally a midfielder, uh, did not have the best match on Thursday. Um, but I think even Smalling was more to blame than he was in this match, which was surprising to us both. I think, you know, going in, I didn't think the uh, Mancini suspension would kill us too badly because we had Smalling back. We had Kambula as an option if we needed another center back off the bench or something. Um, so I, I expected Ibanez Cristante Smalling going in. Um, but then when you saw how some of the injuries played out, we could talk about this later. But, you know, what do you Cristante is a center back this season. Is there anything Fonseca could have done differently? Well, I think this feeds into what you were bringing up in the last couple of episodes, which is that, that Cristante belong more in midfield. You know, do, mm -hmm. do, do you play four at the back and then Cristante in midfield? Does he do a better job uh, on Paul Pogba? Than which is what they did against Atalanta for a lot of that match, right? He played more as a midfielder. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, how do you feel about it? Do, do you see Cristante doing better against Paul Pogba as a matchup, individual matchup than we are? He wouldn't be able to keep up with Pogba's pace for the most part because Pogba is fairly pacey. He's got those long legs. He kind of has that Ronaldo-esque build about him. Um, yeah. But I think physically, I think he could have matched up better than anybody else in Roma's midfield. Um, because even Vertu, before he got injured, Vertu is more of a diminutive uh, midfielder in terms of his size. He's not a tall, rangy midfielder. He's a hustle kind of, you know, built in that Nyangalan mold. So I think yeah. Cristante, and this was something, I think if Mancini was not suspended, I think it could have been an option in this match. Um, you know, because then maybe you have him and Vertu. Vertu ends up getting hurt anyway. But, you know, I think Cristante in the midfield might have matched up well. Uh, yeah. Or like you said, you could have played the four-man back line. But, um, you know, who's the, who's the center back next to uh, Smalling? Is it Ibanez? Because I think Ibanez has mostly played in a three for Roma. I think this is where the Mancini suspension really hurt Roma. But uh, uh, you said Ibanez's agent has has. has said before that he Ibanez prefers to play in the flat four mm. which I, I know he trained for the for the back three at Atlanta but he, he apparently played a flat four in Brazil had to adapt to playing uh, front uh, back three at Atlanta and never got a game because of it yeah um, and then finally get, gets into the Roma team playing in the back five so I I, I don't think Ibanez would have been uh, if I go off his agent's word it would have been that much of a fish out of water in terms yeah. of playing a back True. four we we'd have to re look at it again at the end of the season, but I think when you add up the sum total of performances, uh, I think Fonseca's decision to commit to this three-five-two or whatever variant of it you want to call it has paid less dividends than expected. And yeah. I, I'm not singling out Cristante as a defender in that situation because, as you said, you look at the defensive mistakes for Cristante, and then they're no more erroneous than what Ibanez, Smalling, uh, Mancini have come up with over the course of the season. Agreed. Uh, like the, all, 
all three of those guys have come up with errors that are just spectacularly bad at some point. Agreed. Uh, and I think a lot of people on Twitter, as you see Roma accounts, they have, you know, conceded that Crisante has not been bad this season. And at times he's been uh, probably in the last month or so, he's been one of maybe Roma's best defender um, yeah. heading into this match. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think that was the best thing in the situation. If you were sticking with the back three all season, like Roma has uh, yeah. considering the injuries, I think it was the best thing Fonseca could have done. Um, Fair enough. Uh, I think, especially with his ball playing ability against a lot of the smaller teams when Roma has been able to u- really utilize it. Um, but of course, there are some deficiencies in defense, naturally, I think. Mm. Um, but that brings us to another defender because when Roma released their Europa League squad, they left off Fazio and Juan Jesus. So we'll focus more on Fazio because he's had more of a role in the team in the league. Um, what do you make of that decision to leave him off? Do you think Fonseca regrets that at this point? I don't know if Fonseca regrets it, but if he doesn't, then I think he's wrong. You know, I, I just think he's shooting himself in the foot. I, I saw Fazio in the Europa League group stage. Uh, we were at home to, it was either Young Boys or it was maybe Cluj. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Young Boys. And like, no one was taking initiative in that game. It was like deadlocked at nil-nil. And it just seemed like Roman players were treating it like just a Thursday stroll in the park. And you're wondering yet again, like, why did I even bother to tune into the Europa League this mm. Thursday? I could have done something better with my time. And then Fazio is like literally the guy taking it upon himself to drive the ball upfield. You know, like he's never been known for his pace, but he's he's that good enough on the ball that he can create problems when he's driving the ball. Um, he's popping up in inside the inside the opposition box. He's you know laying off the ball to other people to create chances. Um, he's being that extra man in attack to really make things happen. So he he's showing you know like. If Fazio is really this um this guy who's mentally checked out the game and just collecting his paycheck, you don't do that on a Thursday yeah. night. You don't yeah. have any motivation to do that. He clearly cares. So why why does for me? I just think he's just, he's been hardly done by by getting left out of the squad list in January. What, what the club tried to do, not just Fonseca but the club itself, probably just tried to strong arm him into accepting a transfer elsewhere. Yeah, and said if you don't if you don't take this move, we're going to leave you out. Yeah, and they left him out and it's backfired now. And, and look, they had to play a couple of the matches. I think it was the Braga matches uh, with a makeshift back three anyway because they were playing Karsdorp and Spinazzola as, yeah. as center backs. And that takes away – and it didn't hurt them because they got through that that two-legged tie. But, you know, it takes away from the offensive ability of the team too when you're sticking Karsdorp or Spinazzola back there. So it yep. uh, could have been useful at, at times for sure. Yep. For, for me, that that's where I criticize Fonseca. I think he's made the biggest mistakes. Is You, know, you tried to strong arm a defender into accepting move. Uh, you left them out. You, you played your gambit, and it backfired. It's just poor man, man poor man management in general. It makes your life harder. Yeah, and then we can kind of get into the you know uh, identity crisis facing Italian football, as you put it. Because I know growing up, and when I say growing up, I mean more like into my teen years when I got into the soccer and I started with the Italian national team before Roma. Was Italy always played for like that one nothing, two one victory? Uh, would sit back, and it was the same kind of mentality in the league, um, mm-hmm. but you know, it doesn't seem to be that way anymore. And, and I, I know like a Serie A purist would probably say, as you put it, an Italian team should never throw away a 2-1 lead at halftime. So what do you make of this mm-hmm. sort of identity crisis? Yeah, we have these in, in the screenshots that we're going to lay out for you uh, when we're done with this episode. But, you know, there, there are just moments in the game where you can see that a, a strictly man-marking team, which a traditional Italian team would do, um, you know, would have Diawara posted up on his man, would have Cristante posted up on his man, uh, would have you know, Perez posted up as like the, the spare man of defense to make sure that you're you're always outnumbering your opponent when you're in your half. 
that's the Italian way of playing. Um, Italian football is rooted in tradition. Uh, you pick up the, the newspaper for the build-up in the weekend, which nowadays is written by Steve in, in our previews, and you talk about individual matchups. You talk about, you know, can uh, Spinazzola take on Rashford? Um, will uh, Paul Pogba come out on top against that too? You know, it was all about like, really building up the game in terms of those, those one-on-one battles that made the story of the game. And now in European football, you've got um, you know, modern coaches who are really trying to preach the collective um, and really trying to say, look, we can't talk about the individuals. You know, all those politically correct press conferences you hear about, like, I don't want to talk about one individual player, I want to talk about the team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and where that's, where that's fed into tactics on the European stage uh, is you see Roma now pressing the ball. Like it's, I think it, under Klopp, it, it's more, most popular to call it Gegenpressen or something like that. Um, so we've seen Roma try and do that sort of like Gegenstar press of the ball in, in two seasons under Fonseca. Uh, this, this wasn't done under Di Francesco. It's the first time we've ever tried to do it this at this club, as far as I know, where you, you literally like, when, when an opposition player is carrying the ball, you try and mark off all his options uh, and you don't, you don't focus on anything else other than that. And uh, we've just seen a, a Roma side that hasn't really taken to uh, doing that properly. They don't really understand how to support each other in terms of carrying out that, that ball marking effectively. Um, and then you just wonder, is it worth it? Or should you really have... Um, played it more traditionally and, and played a style of football that his players probably grew up more used to in their academies where you know you just tell them look here's your guy for the day stay on him and don't let him mm. go you know um i personally i don't think again that this is really taking into account enough of what's holding italian football back elsewhere because look we turned up to united uh united's ground i don't know about you steve but Throughout the game, I'm thinking, "Wow, this is what a real football pitch looks like." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, uh, uh, even a Roma team that tries to pass the ball on the ground, like we tried to do with Fonseca, they would love to be playing on pitches like this. But yeah, and get... and funny thing, you say that about the ground because I was yeah. watching it last night, and my wife, before she went off to watch her own uh, program on another TV, looked at the the pitch and said, "Is that real grass?" Because it, it's so <laughs> immaculate that. It, it looks almost like turf on TV because it's like perfect. Yeah. It's perfectly yeah. manicured. Yeah. And uh, and then you have uh, uh, the day after the 6-2 loss, the morning after Edin Dzeko gets, uh, manages to get free passes for the team to train at City's training ground. So they're not not flying back like in a rush to train at Gregoria. <laughs> no. You, they are staying at Manchester. Yeah. yeah. To warm down on City's training complex because it, like the facilities are just that much better elsewhere. So... You know, the, the whole talk about whether this style of play is good enough for, for Italian teams completely misses me because Italian football has shot itself in the foot elsewhere, off, you know, well, maybe not off the pitch because it's literally on the pitch. And in terms of like their support of the game, uh, grassroots football, so many things have, have been done wrong in Calcio recently, or not recently, but over the last 30 years. That's why we're in this mess where we have Italian teams that just can't match up physically, can't match up for pace. Uh, can't match up for technicality because when you're used to playing the ball at a fast speed, then your technique at fast speed improves naturally as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if you're used to playing the ball against uh, you know the kind of rhythm that we play against Crotone and and all that in the league, th- then suddenly you face United and and guess what? We have a we have a team that's built to play technical football, 
where we should be able to pass it around their, their more physical players, but we're not fast enough to do that. Yeah. We can't stroke the ball around fast yeah. enough because we're just not used to it. So, yeah, that's for me, I think that's a classic case of Italian football ignoring its real problems and just saying, well, if, we just, if we just stuck to tradition and, and the romance of the game, we, we, would, we would avoid these embarrassments. But it, misses, it flies over my head. Yeah, if they were going to train with City uh, at City's complex the day after the match, maybe they should have flown in a few days early and see if they could have uh, gotten some little tidbits from Pep and, 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 and his staff ahead of time. Maybe they could have let him in on some of the secrets. I'm sure they would have liked to see United uh, get hammered. Well, Pep Guardiola would have said that play, play exactly the game he did. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's just used to having those uh, the, the more technically yeah. gifted players, I guess. Yeah, definitely um, when you have De Bruyne. Yeah. And then before we get off the topic of Fonseca and move to the injuries, uh, we just want to, you wanted to mention that Roma has made over a hundred million in uh, competition revenue from the semifinal run, which is, which is good money. It's not champions league semifinal money, but it's, it's big money for a team like Roma who needs it. But um, will Italian clubs like Roma ever be able to use that kind of success to get closer to what we see from the Liverpool's and Dortmund's of the world um, and the way they play in the continent? Yeah. I mean, I'm more or less just addressed this in my, my rant I just got done with but you know it's, it's just about a case of how well do Italian clubs plan on using this competition mm-hmm. money you know Roma are losing something like their, their losses are something like 250 million already this year um luckily they've, they've pulled in a lot yeah. of, well, some of that back with this 100 million uh prize money from just the Europe, Europa League alone and that's also thanks to the fact that they were the last man standing in terms of Italian clubs in Europe so they got a bigger share of the pot um, as opposed to whoever whoever other Serie A team was left in Europe, like Napoli and all that, who were eliminated earlier. So it's not exclusively down to Fonseca's success. Some of it was uh, um, dictated the results elsewhere away mm. from Rome. But look, this is a man who's brought us to the seventh semi-final in Europe in the club's history. Yeah, he's, he's brought money back. You know, like he's he's had an expensive education in Rome. He's been backed quite heavily as a young relatively comparatively inexperienced manager so he you know he's 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 picked up quite the tab in Rome but he's paid it back with this run um and I just think that the talk has to go towards why can't Roma gegen press like Liverpool and Dortmund can do on a new stage or you know why why are we playing slow so slow compared to the where we see football going or where it's already at which is you have to make the most of time time is short yeah. you know time time doesn't come easy on the, on the ball nowadays um, yeah. So, yeah, for me, that's that's where the talk needs to go to. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to the third aspect of uh, Roma's loss that you know could be part of the reason why Roma had the struggles they had. You know, we talked about the the better players that United has. We talked about the tactics that a lot of people p- pointed out, but I think the injuries had uh, a part to play as well. Um, you know, just I saw a tweet from Transfer Market Punto Eat. Um, their their Italian account for the transfer market site, which is a great site. Roma has had 246 matches missed um, in terms of total absences from matches this season. 36 single injuries for a roster of what, like 20 some odd players. Um, 23 injuries that were sustained in, in match uh, and nine that forced changes in the first half of match. So that kind of just gives um, a little perspective that Roma has had as, you know, there are, there are a fair share of injuries yet again this season. We've seen this many times where Roma has injuries. They started out pretty healthy this year compared to other years, but then I think just the busy calendar has taxed but, the players. But do, do you know how, how is that comparative to other teams? 
That I don't have in front of me. That's something we might have to look okay. into for another episode um, because I think Transfer Market logs all that stuff on their site. So it's something we could probably dig up uh, without too much effort. Um, but just from a Roma standpoint, you see the injuries are, are an issue. Um, Vertu, as you mentioned, was injured in the second minute, came off by the fifth minute for VR. Uh, and that definitely changes things a bit because it forced Fonseca to play the, the duo of Diawara and VR in the center of the midfield. Um, you lose that engine of Vertu in the midfield. And Roma was able to sustain without it for a bit. They got to halftime with the lead. They did okay. Um, but Vertu is always a big miss when he, when he doesn't play. We, we've seen this with his injury before. Um, you know, the only other option, you know, because people, you know, picked on VR a bit, I saw on social media and he did have a rough outing, as we mentioned, the only other option that might've presented itself to Fonseca would be to bring in Kambula, uh, and push Cristante to midfield. But I don't know if that would have been better just because Kambula hasn't played, uh, mm. in like over a month. I think mm. that could have been an option if Kambula was a little more match fit, I think, uh, or maybe even later in the match, if Fonseca wanted to go a little more defensively, um, would you have seen that as a better option? Or do you think VR was the only option at that point? I think VR was the only option. I, yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I, I, I'd miss Vertu more in attack than I would in defense. I don't think he's yeah. that, that good in defense. I think he's, he's more like the guy who um, will, will help you on the break. And he's very good at that. Yeah. And um, I think so, uh, playing the way we were playing, that would have been useful. Even though we did hit yeah. them once on the counter, I think that we could have hit them maybe or gotten more, some better chances yeah. on the counter. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, no, I think it's unfair to Kambula to throw him in with yeah. so little match prepar- preparation into a semifinal like that. So. Yeah, it would have been very difficult for him to defend uh, the left side or wherever they would have stuck him to to try to to slow them down. Um, but then that you know that Vertu injury is as costly as it was. Roma was doing okay without him. Uh, it was compounded by the fact that Lopez, as we mentioned, injured his shoulder um, before halftime, making a nice save on a Cavani shot. Uh, he was re- replaced by Mirante, who we talked about had uh, some of his own issues. And then Spinazzola uh, was also injured before halftime. A, a hamstring for Spinazzola, hamstring for Vertu, neither one a contact injury. Um, and it was funny because shortly after Roma took the lead on the, the second goal uh, by Dzeko, there was a shot. Uh, I don't know if you had the same telecast in the UK, but it was Vertu and Spinazzola both looking miserable yeah. in the stands. Uh, Vertu is in the process of getting wrapped. Uh, yeah. Spinazzola already had like the big ice pack taped to his, his hamstring. Uh, and it almost felt like foreshadowing, even though I, I, I knew the result by the time I watched it, if you were watching it live and you saw that, then what happened, it was almost like a foreshadowing. Yeah. I saw the same shot, same feed. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was, I'm not sure. I, I think I was just stunned by how predictable United were at, at that point. I, I didn't really have any chance to feel like the green green reaper was coming in yeah yeah in hindsight it definitely felt like it um you know in spinazzola i I know you want to talk about what he did on that that one goal it it was a little more uh on the other players involved in roma's second goal than it was spinazzola but i think the engine of spinazzola is what was really missed on that left side what what do you think yeah this is where you and i disagree it's not not the first time i was spinazzola but um you know my issue is more with people taking in uh, very selective, uh, like screenshots and and passages, like video passages of the play, and saying like, "Oh, Spinazzola is the guy who has carried our team. And he's hard done by by you know the fact that people can't match his effort, and etc. Cetera, etc." Cetera. Now, in in our article we have after this, we'll just directly compare in the in the most fair way we can come up with Luke Shaw versus Spinazzola in a in a almost 
identical situation where uh, there's a goal we're talking about right now is Roma going two one up on the on the on, mm-hmm. on the on the on the sorry on the night, and uh, Spinazzola uh, like he collects the ball in a really, really like really good way. Like he he, he like just taps the ball past uh, his most immediate marker uh, without even breaking stride. Like he's just up to full pace straight away, and that's impressive enough. That's nice technique. Uh, Shaw did the same thing in the second half. Uh, what they both did is like they they both ended up being the ball carrier past the halfway line with their team both in a outnumbered four versus five in that situation as they're passing the halfway line. Now, what Spinazzola does versus what Shaw does from then on in is exactly what I've been pointing out about Spinazzola's limitations and why he's not a different... He's a guy who flatters to deceive mm-hmm. because you see Spinazzola hold onto the ball, run up the pitch. Uh, United have two men on him. Um, if he had... If he used his left foot more often, he could get himself out of that situation. But fair enough. I'm not going to knock a man for like being outnumbered, like double teamed two to one, right? But he runs to the byline, and it just ends up in a turnover. Now, luckily, yeah, uh, Spinazzola immediately gets the ball back because the bounce is, is lucky, and he, he's you know he's, he's sharp and he gets the ball back and passes it to Mkhitaryan. But Steve, this is why I disagree with you because at that point that he passes it to Mkhitaryan. United have nine players, nine defenders behind the ball. Well, not not behind the ball, but in in on the play. Yeah. Right. So, what difference does Spinazzola Spinazzola's pace make to that to that to that goal? Yeah, yeah I you, I agree. You're right that it was a fortunate bounce that got them in position for him to even get the ball to Mkhitaryan. Yeah. Um, I think the bigger loss, and maybe I was I was too positive on Spinazzola in that play where I said he was vital. Uh, it was more just the, him getting the ball down the pitch. Uh, so easily because you're right he does dribble into those corners we talked about that and he he did that on this play and it was it was a lucky break I think um, I think Roma losing him down the left as an outlet later in the match could have been hurtful um, just to relieve the pressure yeah okay there there I agree with you I agree like Spinozola's value to me in the team is that let's say you're ahead in the game and you need to run out the clock he's a guy who will keep you out the pitch and keep the danger Mm -hmm. away from your goal that that I agree with you 100% But to me, that's not a difference maker. You have to be ahead on the scoreline for that to even be a conversation. Now, if I'm if I'm the, the, the opponent's uh, coach before the game and they're talking about how Spinazzola is a fast player, a ball carrier, a great dribbler, all of which he is. You know, I've I've looked at the stats this season. And like he's he's if not the second best left in the best left in the league, at least in top three. It's, it's yeah. only Goosens and Hernandez in the conversation with them. Yeah, and Hernandez being in a league of his own where he can actually dribble. And pass, you know, and that's really the only guy in Italy at left back you can say that about. The rest is like give or take. Um, but you know, as as great a dribbler as Spinazzola is, if I find the opposition coach before the game, I'm saying, look, if you see this guy run off the ball, run off the pitch with the ball, don't panic if you're behind him or if you're a little slower, because look, by the time he's going to get to the byline, yeah, he's going to give you time to catch up. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a second chance to defend it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But look at what Luke Shaw does in the second half. Doesn't waste time. He's got Karlsdorp closing tight in on him. His team is outnumbered four to five, just like Spinazzola. Takes an early pass, um, an amazing pass from Shaw, just to find that the guy on the far side is the only guy in space at that point. Uh, I believe it was Rashford. And just, you know, that's that's the difference between being a Europa League semi-finalist and going on to the final. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. There, there are plenty of holes in his in his game, and like you said, the 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 speed factor gets mitigated a bit because he cuts back to his right so often, and then ends up being double teamed and things like that. Um, I just wonder if the combination of him and Vertu both being lost in the same match, uh, that pressure release valve that Roma would have on the counterattack, yeah. I think that's where it hurt him the most, especially because yeah. it was the two of them. You know, it wasn't like yeah. Diawara and Spinazzola. I think also losing Vertu, it kind of like is that double double loss that really yeah. really compounded it emotionally it's a blow because i, yeah. when I give credit to spinazzola unreservedly is that he makes himself open for, for the ball mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. He, he takes that responsibility on the shoulders so yeah. if, when, you, when you lose a, a guy like that who's ready willing to you know, step up it's, it's a blow yeah and so. i don't know if he does any better than perez on that that goal that we talked about where perez was kind of deep into the center of the box and uh juan bisaka was available who knows uh, maybe he reads it differently but I think we, we also mentioned that it comes down to Cristante and Smalling on that play too. Um, and then the third sub was Mirante, who uh, spilled the go-ahead goal. Uh, I thought a goal that should not have been based on the shot, the initial shot, um, mm-hmm. which is the same play we're talking about with Perez and, and Juan Bisaka. Um, Mirante, we've seen a, a, the age is showing. He's like 38 years old and, and we're seeing it. Um, yeah. He's got to be better on that. No question. Yeah. And I think Lopez... I, I never thought I would have said this early in the season. I, we missed Lopez, I think, uh, because he made yeah. some he made some good saves, and in Europe, especially, he's been good. Yeah, and and he talks. He's a, he, yeah. he he tries to keep the team together. Morante doesn't give that kind of input. Um, yeah, Morante is more like, oh no, uh, like, yeah. you're, you're, visit, you're audibly like him saying, oh no, after his mistakes. Um, so yeah, Morante had a bad game. Yeah, I I, I don't think uh, Lopez you know, stops them from losing by, by, you know, at all, because they, they're still going to lose the match, but I think maybe they, they keep it a little closer, you know, maybe he gives a little more confidence, maybe he organizes yeah. a little bit better and makes that, that one save to make it three, two. Um, because when Roma had to use those three subs, they meant none in the second half, despite the five sub rule from what I understood from the telecast is that because Roma used three subs in the first half, they would have had to make any other sub at halftime. At halftime yeah. And you're not going to make that sub at two, one at halftime, um, considering who was available on the bench. Um, so, you know, at that point, then fatigue starts to set in. I thought, you know, I mentioned earlier, Diawara kind of labored back on Greenwood's goal as great of a pass as it was from Cavani to open up the play. Um, Ibanez was the only one with enough legs to make it somewhat close in defense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by that point, he's running back from so far that Greenwood had his way um, because Ibanez coming with such a full head of steam. There's no way he was going to be able to, to take the ball off him. Um, and I think w- where it really hurt them was not having any subs around that 60-minute mark to kind of combat United's push um, with a change when, when United really started to pile it on. Maybe there's a sub. I don't know who it would have been off the bench exactly. based on who's there. Um, I was going to ask you. It's like, who, who yeah, I don't know there? who. Um, but maybe if it's still 2-2, maybe you put in Meyer all as a change with somebody up front just to get some fresh legs in the pressing aspect. Uh, before it gets out of hand, I don't know who it would have been, like you said, because That's we used so many subs early. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, you yeah. could probably change change the pressing and yeah, but with Mayor on the pitch. But uh, I, from just from a character point of view, an emotional point of view, I really don't know who you bring on who would like yeah. gee the team up. Yeah, and I, I and I, I agree. I think you know as much as we've trashed Pedro and how bad he's been, but you know you get him as a vet, <laughs> maybe you get him as a veteran presence in pressing because he does work hard pressing. Yeah. You know, just anybody, and he wasn't even available on this day. Neither was El Sharari, exactly. neither was Mancini. But um, it's tough for some of these guys to go ninety minutes when you're trying to press and you're trying to absorb pressure for as long as as they right. did. You know, Mikatarin right. and these guys Imagine, were dead by the end. 
imagine that we've come all this way deep in this season just to say when when it really came down to it we missed Paul Lopez and Pedro yeah we generally missed yeah them. especially Pal. <laughs> yeah and I, I thought he had a pretty good first half before he got hurt too um, he the first he 37 minutes or so he did he's been Europa League keeper of the season if you believe like the the regular who scored ratings you know he gets man of, of the week every season in this competition yeah and I did that piece um, about the transfer market comparing Mirante and Pau's stats to some of those like targets. And I I'm, I'm pr- might have to revisit it toward the end of the season just to see how Pau stacks up now because his numbers have to have improved a lot since then. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll go for this one because yeah. I, I wrote this down. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I think that injuries for me aren't really an alibi for Fonseca because uh, what I noticed is that in his first season of 2019-20, most of his injuries in the, that happened were like trauma or ma- like impact-based injuries in the match. Uh, we get you know breaks and and bruises and stuff like that. Yeah. So you know that's that's nothing to do with preparation. It's just yeah. bad break on the day. Uh, but this season is different. This is going back to like Fonseca, uh, sorry, Di Francesco's um, time in charge, where just muscle tears, pulls, um, strains throughout the season. And I personally think that Fonseca's gambit in going to a more counter-attacking style where you try and bait the opponent into your half and then you know do ultra high speed sprints for from the halfway line onwards. Uh, you know, that I, I don't have the evidence to back this up because it would take hours and hours and hours to compare it to other teams and how much sprinting they do. But I just think it ultimately hasn't paid off for Fonseca. It's backfired. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, this team just didn't have the the uh, collective minutes um, to to really withstand the the pressure that Fonseca put on them by making these demands of them with this counterattacking football. Yeah, um, I, I think it could be, especially because the calendar, like you said, is so congested, and so many of the same players have played over and over. Until recently, when Fonseca went really heavy turnover on the Europa League weeks, we've seen mm. the same guys. And you're right, Mkhitaryan's doing a lot of sprinting. Vertu especially does a lot of sprinting. Spinazzola does a lot of sprinting, and Spinazzola. Uh, we, I, I know looking at his health early in the season, I, I remember it was pretty good for a guy who's had these muscle injuries because those sprinter type players are more prone to get those or little muscle tweaks because yeah. the, those fast switch muscles go faster than someone like me lumbering down the pitch, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when you're doing that much sprinting in such a congested calendar, playing twice a week, a lot of these guys, it's, it's no, no wonder, I think. I'm sure yeah. it might be hard to prove, but I think there has to be some kind of you know connection there yeah i tell you what you you will never catch me or federico fatio pulling a pulling a muscle for roma yeah we're fine <laughs> yeah. we're fine in that sense we're covered <laughs> but um uh yeah there's also for me what plays into it is this roma's and this, again this reflects on fonseca but the team in general now is just that lack of professionalism and how they've approached the, the domestic calendar because i really feel that um for vertu to not last two minutes into a game that's just really crappy match preparation. Yeah, like, oh, that was depressing. Awful. Yeah, and uh, and Spinazzola, uh, Lopez also a bit like you know separating his shoulder. Um, you know, you could say that's an impact injury, but I I kind of feel like nervous energy feeds into those kind of in, uh, injuries. Does your body really um, break down if you've if you've like lessened the the pressure on you going mm. into that game? You know, Roma Roma approached this game for weeks now as an all or nothing game, and I just felt like the the inevitable back backlash of it showed in the first half when you, you have three players breaking down from the pressure of it yeah. just the the nervous mental energy expended in terms of the build up to this game must have told its tale i, I don't think it's some 
voodoo mystic thing that only happens to Roma. I think Roma does this to themselves somewhat. Yeah, and I remember messaging Brent at halftime because I'd missed most of the first half, and I was like, oh, what's the deal with all these injuries? He goes, this is, like, unseen even by, like, Roma standards. Like, this is, like, even beyond Roma. And um, Fonseca was asked today about the injuries, and he was asked, do you think something was handled badly with Vertu, Spinozola, and El Shawari as they recovered from the injuries? And his response was, something went wrong, clearly. I can talk about Spinozola and Vertu, who both played in the game on Thursday. Both of them trained during the week. They both played against Cagliari. All signs are positive. In this part of the season, we need those players. Given all the signs were positive, there's no sense in deciding it was too risky to play them in Manchester. We had no indications to make us think that. So clearly everything that they saw in training and from what they saw in the, the cameos against Cagliari indicated they were ready. And for Vertu to go down within two minutes, you're right. There has to be something more to it um, yeah. if everything points to, to those signs. My, um, my guess would be just the, the nature of the match and, yeah. and how they approached it. So. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to the bigger, the bigger picture in terms of just Roma in, in Europe in the past. And, you know, we've seen this happen so many times to Roma. And I've been a fan since, you know, right around 2006, 2007. Um, the first time when they lost to United 7-1, um, there was a Bayern match. They lost 7-1 in the Champions League a few years later, a Barca match 6-1. Um, and then, of course, Liverpool just three years ago in the semifinal first leg, they lost 5-2. Who can forget the Fiorentina 7-1 Copa debacle that probably was about the end of the road for uh, Di Francesco. And then we have 6-2. And, and there was a tweet put out by Maltese Romanista, uh, who we've read some of his questions in the past. And he listed those. And he goes, if you're still a Roma fan after all this, you shouldn't have issues with mental strength. You're as loyal mm -hmm. as High Chico, but you have an IQ of a broomstick. And it's funny, I had a good laugh because I had never heard of Hachiko, the, the Japanese dog who waited at the train station for his, his deceased owner for years afterward uh until this wow. year because i actually read the story to my third graders because it was part of our english uh language arts text that we have to read to the kids and I'm, like I'm, I'm, I'm only just finding out that yeah now. It's so the, it was this dog this little dog his he had an elderly owner who would commute i guess on the the, the, the train in tokyo every day and at some point the man passed away and never came home went to the hospital so the dog would walk with him in the morning to the train station, wait, and then wait for him. And he would walk home with him in the evening every night. And this dog would come every day afterward until basically the dog pa passed away too. And there's actually a statue of the dog there now. So that was the uh, reference he made. Cause it's basically, we have blind loyalty, you know, we have <laughs> loyalty to Roma. And if, if you have an IQ, you know, you're, you're loyal as hell. Um, but you, you probably have the IQ of a broomstick if you're still, as loyal to Roma, so we we're probably all guilty of that. Yeah. If you're listening, you're probably just as I'm, guilty. But I'm not. I've, I've said several times. You could call me a plastic fan, or you like. I, <laughs> I tune in and out the games as I please. I, 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 I was there for the for the women's semi cup final last week. No, was it? Yeah, it was a semi cup final. Yeah. And then they had to play the league today. I gave that game a miss. All yeah. Right. I, and I do that with the men's team all the time. So yeah. You can call me a glory hunter, or you like. That's me. <laughs> so. You know, talking about all those um, defeats, we just those just, just the heavy ones we pointed out there. I, I sometimes you think it's mental, especially like earlier, like a decade ago, because those kind of teams were the same base players that were on those sides that lost to United seven one, Bayern seven one, uh, Barca six one, because those were within like a five six year span. But this is a completely different squad. It's even a completely different squad than the Liverpool five two. So do you think it's a mental thing? Um, is Roma just that much worse than the other big clubs in Europe? Like, what could it be? I think at least three of these drubbings on Europe, 
European states have come because the tactics are predictable. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, the, the I've just like shot our entire conversation afoot by saying that, so I worded it wrongly. But the team identity is predictable. Like Roma knew, sorry, Manchester United knew that Roma would come to Old Trafford uh, 2007 playing the false nine. Yeah. Um, they knew that, uh, sorry, um, Bayern knew that uh, Rudy Garcia's Roma would turn up to uh, the Olympico that happens in the group stage uh, with uh, being over reliant on pass, trying to pass the ball out to Giovini on the left flank. Um, and then uh, what was the other one? It's like that Barca 6 1. Yeah, Barca 6 1. Um, that was a group I, stage I just, match. Yeah, I just think that if you're going to put it down to like something Roma specific, is that uh, like Roma don't sorry like they try and play ambitious football like they go for the big results in the big stage they don't necessarily have the budget to back it up yeah so the identity isn't really that malleable when the pressure's on it's really like the opposition knows that you're going to go um towards certain players like whether it be totti in a hole or Trevino out wide and they know what to expect and that's that's you know that's a a comparatively small budget team going for big budget results. Yeah. And that's why this happened. Yeah. And to me, this one felt a little different than some of the others um, because in 2007, United was up three goals within the first 20 minutes. It was kind of out of hand right away. Um, and Liverpool, they were up five, nothing before Roma finally hit back late in that match in the first leg at Anfield. Um, I think that one came down to tactics a lot. I think the way Roma approached that match, a lot of people, you know, weren't too yeah. happy with. Sorry. Yeah, that was the third example. Yeah, Dad, the tactics were awful in that match from Di Francesco. As great as they were against Barso, they were awful. You know, he kind of went with the same approach against a different side, from what I remember. Yeah, but but again, this is something that, right, that, okay, the first leg, I'll give it to you. But the second leg, I, it annoys me that people talk about the, the tactical setup being the, the story of the whole tie when, okay, um, you know, you start off that game uh, Nangaland makes an individual error and, you, and you're in yeah. half to, to put yeah. them up 1-0. That's right. Um, you still fight back. You're at 2-2 with uh, just past the hour with half an hour to go. You need three goals to push it extra time. You, and you, they nearly got, got them. You've got Liverpool penned back in their own half thanks to your setup. Mm -hmm. um, you've got them in doubt and they, they're making so many mistakes that Alexander, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold literally hand, handles the ball yep. as a goalkeeper inside the box. If, he, if Liverpool go down to 10 men, who knows what would have happened. And if VAR was there to even give the penalty on that. Exactly. When yeah. we come within the goal playing that style of football. So, yeah. but, you know, why is it that bad to play that way? Like, what what would you rather see instead? Would you rather see uh, Roma defend and then maybe never have a chance? You know, I, I don't yeah. think it's, I don't feel that badly watching Roma come out the wrong end of a 6-7 aggregate loss in the semifinal. Yeah. Personally. Yeah, no, the six seven. No, I I have no no quarrels with the way the second leg went for yeah. sure. Yeah. I think they the just dug leg. that hole for themselves. Yeah. The, the difference leg, with yeah, the difference with the United seven one was Roma had won the first leg at home and then yeah. got thrashed. Like this was on the road at Old Trafford first, so you were at two one at halftime. Uh, it felt different. Not that Roma outplayed them in the first half at all, because we know Roma absorbed a lot of pressure, even though they didn't give up a lot of chances. It was just that they couldn't keep it manageable in the second half. Like if you had kept it to three, two, or even four, two, I'd say yeah. then you at least give yourself a chance with those two away goals. Um, mm -hmm. But once it got to five and six, then it's like, well, how are you going to shut out United at home three or four, nothing? It's nearly impossible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Roma would have to come out with some kind of miracle performance on Thursday to even dream of coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, that's, that's people's issue with this. The second half we just played is like, yeah. what I said is like Roma, overreaching their 
their station in life, so to speak. Yeah. You know? yeah. If you're two one up ahead in Old Trafford with with the team you have, just be grateful for that. You know. Yeah. Don't go out and try and get more. Like right. Defend what you have. So yeah. if it was the second leg and then you're behind an aggregate, then you need to press harder for those goals. Yeah. That's what I think what killed people. Um, so where does Roma go from here? Uh, what do we expect on so tomorrow? Uh, some of you may listen to this after the fact, but Sampdoria on the road. Uh, and then next Thursday, United at home. Uh, where does Roma go from here? I don't know where they are mentally. I, I, I'm only tuning in. Like, glory hunter that I am, I'm tuning in to see uh, if, if Brian Reynolds is the real thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if uh, Ciervo, Ricardo Ciervo, and uh, uh, who else is it? Uh, Ibrima Daboy who I rate very highly, get their big break off the bench because they've actually been kept away from Roma Primavera's league game today when mm. they drew two all against Juventus. Um, you know, th- those are starters that didn't play today because uh, Fonseca is conscious of the injury problem um, and he's, he's kept those two young players training with the first team with an opportunity to appear tomorrow. So I expect him to make, make that opportunity real and put them on the pitch, not as yeah. starters, but off the bench. Yeah. And then um, something that I, I meant to ask you last week, um, and now it's even more relevant because now the Champions League is kind of out the window. Um, yeah. Would we rather finish sixth in the Europa League spot, which we'd have to end up beating Lazio head to head and making up some ground on them in the last five matches, uh, seventh and being in that new UEFA Conference League or finishing eighth, let Sassuolo catch us, be done with it and give the whoever the manager is next year just weekdays off? It all depends on the frequency for me. Yeah. If, if, if the freaking plan is to spend, spend, spend this summer, I'd rather go into eighth place so yeah. we get a real strong team with no Thursday night distractions. Yeah. But if we're still dependent on competition money, then you probably do need Europa League. I mean, you probably yeah. won't get that 100 million run like we have this season, but you've got to offset, offset your, your losses in your budget somehow. Um, but it's like, look, it's not... It's really not a straightforward conversation because like St- Stefano Pioli, the Milan coach, came out just yesterday and said, look, only us and Roma have played as many games as we had this season. And it's, the difference is the scheduling. Like you, you get punished for playing in the Europa League because you play you on do. Thursday when, when people play, other people play on Wednesday at the top of the yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, you know? it, so, for sure. Yeah. What, what would um, you rather see? I definitely don't want the conference league. I, I don't want to finish seventh. Uh, and knowing our luck, that's where we'll finish because we're, I think, three points up on Sassuolo and Sassuolo plays Atalanta tomorrow. So that's there's a chance we, we might extend that lead. Um, but, you know, I, I could handle the Europa League, but I don't know, the, the, being in this like third tier competition just seems to me like I, I, it's a waste of time. If we do end up being game. stuck there, yeah, if we end up stuck there, play some Primavera kids and stuff, man, don't waste like the starters in those kind of matches for a lot of it. Um, I would be fine finishing eighth if it gives our, our manager a clean slate and some fresh legs. It did wonders for Lazio last year. Yeah, it did, it did wonders for Rudy Garcia in his first yeah. season. Yeah. So um, I'll ask you first, and then I'll answer. But do you think Fonseca finishes the season out? Yes, it's been unofficially indirectly confirmed by the club yesterday, according to Sky Sport Italia, that uh, you know when they that they came up with rumors about Sadi getting hired immediately, the club unofficially by backdoor channels confirmed that uh, Fonseca is the manager until the end of the season. Yeah, and I, I, I would be shocked. And plus, Sadi's still under contract. I think what Juve to finish the season technically, even though he was fired, I think the way those contracts work, you'd have to probably pay them out. And it, at this point, there's five matches left, plus the United match. You, you just let him yeah. finish it out. Um, this so, is, this is, sorry, there's another yeah. comment that I saw on the web that, that pissed me off about Fonseca. Like People saying, someone said, uh, if Fonseca had any, any class, he'd resign. 
what difference does it make at this yeah. point? Like he, no. his contract runs out in less than three months. Yeah. What 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 class is he showing by leaving a job unfinished, walking out in the club when when they just need someone to hold ship until they can find someone new? Yeah. What is he is he, is he doing? He's saving us like what ninety grand in wages on on the budget. Thanks, Paolo. That's really gonna help yeah. offset the, the 250 million that we need to find. Yeah, not not worth. You no, know, I'd I'd see him more as a quitter if he resigned at this point. I, exactly. I wouldn't see it as saving face. I'd see it more as a, you know, give, giving yeah, up. So yeah, yeah, finish finish the job you start. Yeah. yeah that's all. Um. So we'll get into some listener questions before we wrap up here. So we had one from uh, AW Andy James, and he asked, "Who will be our next manager, and what players should be coming in?" I mean, we answered this last week. We, yeah. We gave percentages on it. I yeah. think you, you favor Sadi, I favor Sadi. The only way play uh, area where we differ is I don't think Sadi is, or even any of the top candidates we've been linked with is, is as wrapped up as we want to believe. Mm. I think the chance of Roma messing up and missing out on top targets and hiring someone like a Deserbi or something like that is is higher than we want to believe. But yeah. um, I hope our next manager is Manito Sadi. Uh, I've been saying that almost all season long before he became a rumor. Yeah. Uh, what what player should be coming in? Uh, get de- definitely a striker, and uh, you got to rejig the midfield for me. Uh, most people would say keeper in defense, but for me, strike you know, one star striker and redo the midfield almost yeah. entirely. And with Sadi, you're playing like more of a four three three setup, so it's gonna it's gonna require some changes um, if it's Sadi. And the next question from comes from at Adi Kadi. Uh, and he says, assuming we get Saudi next season, should we cash out the likes of Spina, Smalling, Mickey, and any other 28-plus drill players and start a new project to develop the youth? Um, in terms of cashing out players, I know Mkhitaryan isn't even renewed yet, so there would be no cash coming in from him. <laughs> um, so that would be a tough loss. It, it's a tough question um, because Mkhitaryan's been so good this year. Um, so I think it for me, Mkhitaryan depends what kind of wages you can get him on if he's willing to stay. Um, Smalling would be hard to to sell after what they just paid for him, and considering he's coming off so many injuries. Um, and Spinazzola's been—I know we disagree in some areas with him, but he's been one of our more productive players this year. Um, might be hard to replace him. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I'm I'm not trying to call Spinazzola a bad player. I just think that his the area that he needs to improve is just one area. Yeah, so blatant and um. I think honestly, we got fleeced by we got sold a poison pill by Juventus with Spinazzola because we we paid the price that we'd never get elsewhere. And look at our team results since we signed them. Um, you know, considering what he takes on the budget, we've sunk from a, a fifth place team to maybe now a seventh or eighth place team this season. And that, that's in no way near large part down to Spinazzola. But then you compare it with like players in this position around and about his league performing at the same level, Goosens. Signed for Atlanta for one million. Yeah. Um, Tio Hernandez was signed for a maximum of twenty million from for Milan, and he's the leading left back in this league. So, should we cash out any kind of players? Purely for financial reasons, yes. Um, but I, I don't really. Uh, given the question, I don't see any advantage in in going with just youth. I, I yeah. think that the way you develop youth players is you have senior players that on the team as a reference for them to learn how to do it the right way. Um, yeah, and if you're going four three three, Mkhitaryan is is a very key player in that setup because yes, you know, when you want to switch from defending four three three to going more fluid in attack, it's guys like Mickey that make it happen. You know, not everyone knows how to do that. So yeah, and if they could get out of Mickey what they got out of him this year, even if he plays seventy five percent of the games because they rest him a little more, um, yeah. 
which I think would be good for a player his age. He's he's very productive, and I think in Saudi ball he'd be a great fit. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean some of the other older players will be gone. I think Jekko's gone. I uh, Juan Jesus finally had a contract. I think Fazio will be will be gone. So th- some of those older players will be off the books. But yeah, it's, it's going to be hard for them to move some of these other players, even if they wanted to, because of the amortization of a Smalling or a Spinazzola that they have to cover. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll move on to our next question, which was from at. And I'm probably going to butcher this. So I don't know how exactly it's supposed to be read, but P at P fan Nestle history. Yeah, history. Uh, and he asked with Lopez likely out, should Fuzato get some games to really see what we have there? I think he, he should. I don't know if it'll be tomorrow. I think it might be more towards the Crotone match because I think Mirante is probably going to be playing Thursdays. They might want to get him some some saves under his belt before Thursday. But what do you think? I, I... I think he will. I don't know if he'll be tomorrow immediately, but Fonseca's come out today and said uh, mm-hmm. Sato uh, is an option for not just this game, but every game remaining to the end of the season. Uh, Fusato's agent came out, I think it was last week, not this week, and said that the aim for Fusato, his personal ambition is to go out on loan. He specifically doesn't want to leave Roma. He just wants a loan elsewhere so he can show what he's got. Um, and what better chance to show what he's got than uh, playing out the rest of the season in the Roma goal and hopefully getting a, a loan elsewhere where they'll actually play him instead of what happened earlier this year where he was just benched at the Portuguese side for no reason. Yeah, if Lopez is going to be out for the rest of the season, we don't know that for sure because I don't know how severe his shoulder injury is, but I would play Fuzata at least the last three, four matches more than what we saw last year with just that one throwaway match against Juve. Just at least to showcase him, like you said, for a better loan option. Uh, yeah. Maybe they could keep him within Serie A to a newly promoted side or something yeah. so I that he do. can get some some good experience. Um, and then we had uh, Pietro Rizzo, who's at Pietro R zero three six three one five seven four on Twitter. Uh, he asked don't, a bunch don't, of don't questions. Ever say, don't ever say we don't give you free press here. We, yeah, we, we read out your usernames. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're going to. Uh, he 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 came out at us with a bunch of questions, and we're going to go through them uh, quickly before we wrap. And he said, "Do we even bother showing up for the next game?" Um, I think if it <laughs> depends on who you're talking about, I think some of the younger players will be more than happy to show up like the Reynolds yeah. of the world, but some of the uh, the senior players might not be so willing. I don't know. Yeah, for the sake of uh, Reynolds, uh, Cervo, Daboy, yes, show up. Yeah. Uh, and then he said, how does a team have an injury crisis every year? Should they change the whole medical and fitness staff? We kind of talked about this a little bit, but in terms of medical mm-hmm. and fitness staff, we've seen this done recently. Um, within a couple of years ago, I remember Palota two- turned the whole thing over. Spring of 2019, yeah. Right yeah. When Monchi walked out, uh, Francesco was fired and the, almost ha- almost the entire medical staff was fired along with him. Yeah. And I, I think this year it might even have, like we mentioned, more to do with the the approach that Roma comes with, with that hard sprinting and a congested calendar, I think even more than the fitness and medical staff. It's, it's a lot of wear and tear on these bodies. Yeah. And I, I asked you, how is it comparative to other type, uh, teams? Because when I looked at this in 2019, I found that Roma's injury record was comparative with mid-league tables uh, sorry mid-league clubs in the premier league so you can't expect good results uh, or like european qualifying results with this level of injury yeah but it's not it's not a level of injury that's unheard of it's just it just it has roma sinking to the middle of the pack that's all it is yeah um and he asked a similar question that we spoke about earlier but do we let go go of guys like mickey jecko and pedro and take a chance on more younger players like Calafiori. I think, like we had mentioned earlier, I think it's got to be a, a mix of youth and experience. It's just a matter of which experience you want to keep around and which youth you want to integrate. Mm-hmm. I think, but um, I don't. I don't know if they can get rid of Pedro so easily. 
exactly. If, if you really can convince Pedro to find a move elsewhere, then I would do that this yes. summer. He's, he's been a disaster. But yeah, um, I, I'd be happy to see like um, Cloyver or Wunder get another shot ahead exactly. of Pedro. But it's a matter of how do you make that happen financially? Yeah. Um, and as for Calafiori, well, that goes back to the injury situation. He's, yeah. He's rarely ever fit. So, yeah, well, very I, disappointing in that regard. Um, should we buy Myrall and just see what he can do? Because it's an easier option than going out and getting somebody. Uh, if they exercise the option of Myrall, I think it would be as uh, a compliment to another striker because Jekko is going to be leaving, I think. What do you think? Because of the e option you got. Um, I don't, yeah. I Yeah, he's a complimentary play. He's, a, he's a, not a star striker right now. He needs to show... Um, more of like a physical individual will to to win the ball and uh, and to beat his man physically um, to make that next level and really lead the team. Right now, I see him just like a guy who um, is very very dangerous, like a great goal scorer with great like instinct for goal, but uh, and also puts in plenty of effort pressing, like we mentioned, but just not a star striker, not someone yeah. that I would uh, want to lead my first eleven. No, for sure. I think he's more of the guy that rotates in, starts some matches like we've seen this year and uh, is off the bench in other matches. I think we need a stronger star striker, whether we've seen Milik rumored in the past, we've seen Belotti, we've seen Vlaovic. I think those are the caliber strikers Roma's going to want to chase after this summer. If they can lure one finishing seventh or eighth is another story, depending on what kind of money and what the striker is looking for. Just, um, just- Pray Torino gets relegated. Yeah, Belotti <laughs> would be a dream. Um, Vlaovic would be a little more of a gamble because he's more inexperienced, but you just see the talent level on that kid. And, and you compare that to like Myrall and you're like, this is what you want in a striker. Yeah, I, um, I want Belotti. Yeah, I, I personally do too. And then last, do we sell Carlos Perez and VR to try to make up some money? I'm sure VR has certainly increased in his transfer market value. I don't know about Carlos Perez. I don't know how much they could actually make on Perez. Uh, they signed him for like what? Like it's ten million or something. Yeah, so I think it was about. You're not, yeah, you're not gonna get big offers on him. Like no. teams are gonna look at you. They're gonna say, look, you only need about seven or maybe even five to clear um, break even on him. So we'll, we'll give you like. Well, you're not gonna even get double figures. Um, it, 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 I, I don't think he's taking up that much space in the roster, but I just think that he's. Uh, if he leaves, it's a footballing question because he's he's very much going into business for himself. Like every time he gets mm-hmm. on the pitch, it's just it's Perez plays for Perez, and that's it. Yes, you I think know, he. So. You sh- sh- if you could ship him back to Spain because you have Cloyvert and Under coming back, and it's going to be harder to move them, then yeah. maybe you do that. Uh, I think it'd yeah. be most likely La Liga if he leaves, though. And then VR, VR is is a tough call. If you sell VR now, what does that say about your project? I, I don't think it says that damning a statement as as we want to believe i, I think if you're playing sari and, and you're really going to a 43 you really you've got either diawada or Vialis taking space on the bench because there's only one reduced in that team yeah playing from deep who um, do you is the more I, similar to Jorginho type player they're both very similar I, I don't really see that much difference between them both um vr obviously plays more forward balls than diawada does but vr uh defensively isn't as good but not, not in a way that really counts. Like they, they both can be, be that that anticipation defender that Jorginho mm-hmm. was. You know, um, I I see sense in 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 like again, this depends on the freakings. What's their strategy? If you need to raise money for player sales, I see sense in, in letting VR go. Yeah. To for the right offer, because you only need then Diawara to play that role, and you can easily find someone who. Um, 
like he either works as a backup or, or maybe even as the first team or while Diawara is a sub. So yeah. I, I I find a very re- replaceable position to be honest. If you if you had to put up with a loss in that area, and he'd probably fetch one of the biggest plus for lenses on the side because they they yeah. paid so little for him and he's grown so much in the last year and a half. Um, I know there's some people that are big fans of him that would hate to see him go. There are others who are not as high on him who would probably be happy with taking a twenty five thirty million dollar offer from a could get it. Uh, I don't know what his true market I'm, value is. I'm a big fan of VR. Between Mancini, Diawara, and VR, you're talking about my feet favorite players on the team right now um but i can see sense in letting two of those names go not mancini but the other two yes because um like someone made the point on the forum i think it was uh it was um ewok who you know as we know is the resident pellegrini fan uh he said uh, about vr and diawara is that they're not that useful for and, and we said this on the podcast they're not yet useful for like that those upper mid-table teams like we are those upper mid-table clubs because we're reliant if, and, and inevitably we're reliant on playing counter-attacking football yep. at some point in the, in the season mm-hmm. and to have a highly technical player who doesn't necessarily um, know how to play vertical football as in their nature mm-hmm. that's not so useful for a team like us the paradox is that it's very useful for a team that's at the top of the table Right, surrounded by players that can that can make the best use of that. So right, if Roma's truly why... playing Saudi ball, that's when they become more valuable. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that, even that is like, you know, let's say we hire Saudi this summer. That's going to be like a year or two down the line that we really get to that area where we're comfortable playing that way. We can week out. You know. Yeah, and the thing I want to throw in before we end, if we talk about Saudi, if they're going to give Saudi the job, you have to give him a, a good three years to really, I think, get it to the level people are going to want to see Roma mm-hmm. playing because you're going to have to have player turnover over the next couple of years. And you're going to want to build a project. Like, like we've said with Fonseca, our biggest issue with letting him go after two years was you're trying to build something, but then you're just tearing it down again. And I, I don't think you could afford to do that with a veteran coach like Saudi, you know, Fonseca, if the writing's on the wall, which I think it is at this point, like we've mentioned, I hmm. think the next guy's got to be given a little more time um, with the same sporting director ownership behind him, I think would, would do wonders and it's hard to get three years in Rome. We've seen that with almost everybody in, in the time we've been fans. Yeah. I, I think there's there's a little bit more continuity between Fonseca and Sari. Um you know, I, I don't think that we're asking Sari to, to go and create Chinese out of English. Like you know Fonseca and Sari speak relatively the same language in terms of football. Mm-hmm. What, what I what I would caution with Sari is for people was like for all those uh, people who are reading like writers out there and journalists saying Oh yeah, now we're getting a new coach. Now from and now Roma's gonna start from ground zero. Now things are gonna be different. You know, now like you know, tune into the next season, buy your jersey and all that stuff. Like you know, that's selling drugs because sadly when it comes to Roma, he's not gonna be playing this match any differently that just happened yesterday from how Fonseca played it. You're not gonna see a Sadi team man marking with ten men with ten men behind the ball. You're not gonna see that. You're gonna see him ball marking. Yeah, marking out the ball, trying to trying to get compressed. And you're going to see very, very similar football to what you've seen this year. There will be changes, um, but hopefully the, big, the biggest part of the changes will be in terms of personnel. Like you said, hopefully yeah. we will get the, the type of players needed in to, to really carry out this style of football, this philosophy that we've been trying to do for the last two years. Yeah, I think the only difference would have been that we would have seen a, a 4-3-3 versus the 3-4-2-1 the or whatever you want to say that Fonseca played. Yeah. That would have been the biggest difference, not so much in the tactics. Um, so we'll, we'll end it here. We've been going for a while. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the tactics talk certainly check out the write-up that Sean and I are going to put together uh, that will in- involve, include, I should say, Sean's 
you know, graphics to, to supplement this so you can really get an idea of what we were talking about. Sean, anything you want to uh, leave the listeners with? Uh, just what I said, you know, say no to drugs, say no to tactic talk, <laughs> and uh, just, you know, don't believe the hype. We're, we're, we're doing an okay job, and I, I'm, I'm okay with where we are right now. Yeah, and hopefully by the next time Sean and I talk to you guys, Rome will be coming off uh, at least a win against Samp and uh, something positive to talk about. But we'll end it here, and uh, hope you guys enjoyed.